This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. One of the most popular of the radio shows back in the golden age of radio was yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The starring role tonight is played by Charles Russell, who was a movie and radio actor who appeared in 17 movies between 1943 and 1950. He originated the role of insurance investigator Johnny Dollar in the CBS radio series and played the role in 1949 until being replaced by Edmund O'Brien in 1950. Tonight's episode... The little man who wasn't there. If you're looking for murder, I know a guy who can get it for you wholesale. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to West Coast Underwriters, San Francisco branch, attention Bradford L. Coates, general manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of uh, the little man who wasn't all there, or in most cases, there at all, or the unpaid premium payoff. Expense account item one. Three cents postage due on your airmail special delivery letter containing said assignment. I can just hear you dictating it. Take a letter. To Johnny Dollar, you'll find this address in the files. Dear sir, better make that dear Dollar. Enclosed find copies of letters received by us from one Mr. James Yarbo, period. This man's wife was insured with our company until recently. One day before her death, her period of grace and an unpaid premium ran out. We canceled her policy in the amount of $20,000. Her husband, Yabo, first made every effort to collect, then threatened us. Since then, we've received the enclosed series of letters intimating, without confessing, that he's had a hand in the accidental death of at least 12 of our policyholders to date. The police have been working on it, but they're getting nowhere. If you are available, please come immediately. Uh, uh, yours very truly, uh, so... Expense account, item two, $176.87. Airfare, Hartford to San Francisco. Item three, 540. Cab fare, airport to your office. Dollar, glad you got him. You've no idea what okay, a mess Okay, okay, Mr. Coates, okay, don't get excited. We'll nail this guy before you run out of policyholders. Well, the dozen he's apparently done away with already have cost this darn near quarter of a million. You've got to move fast, Dollar. The man is a homicidal maniac. Yeah, but a smart one, though. He's put just enough in those letters that he sent you to let you know that he's working on a grand-scale revenge against your company. But 
He leaves out just enough so the law can't lock him up. He's had perfect alibis in every case. Uh, look, uh, Mr. Coach, tell me, have all these deaths been local right around here? No, they've been all over California. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing, the method. From this list you gave me, Mr. Yarbo seems to have a preference for killing people through the noisy and gory method of fake automobile accidents. Yes, very true. But what about this last one? Airplane crash. That was a $30,000 loss to us. Uh, just think, our poor innocent policyholder flying around and then his engine quit. Thanks to a man he's never even seen. Tell me, Mr. Coates, <sighs> just how difficult would it be to get a list of your California policyholders? Names and addresses, you know. Why, that would take days, but goodness gracious, man, you can't hope to keep an eye on them all. Besides, the minute you went off the job, he'd strike again. That's a preposterous oh, idea. Oh, time. Look, I don't want the list. I was just wondering how Yarbo got it. Oh. Now, so far, you've given me nothing to go on. I'd like you to add two things to that. Yarbo's home address and a $50,000 life insurance policy made out to me. What on earth is that for? Well, look, in the first place, if we're going fishing for Mr. Yarbo, I might as well be the worm. In the second place, if I should get gobbled up in the line of duty, that $50,000 life insurance would make several attractive young ladies of my acquaintance very happy. Not, mind you, as happy as I can make them by remaining alive. <laughs> Account item four, $30. Rental of limousine complete with chauffeur. I figured if I was riding into trouble, I was riding in style. So I started on a house-to-house survey. You might say, knocking at death's door. Yes? What is it, the police? Oh, I'm sorry to bother you, Mrs. Chianelli, but I'm from the insurance company. Oh, yes. It'll only take a moment. One question about your son. Oh, poor Andrew. What do you want to know about my poor son? He'd drive away in his automobile. That's all. I'll never see him in life again. Yes, I, I know. Uh, tell me, Mrs. Chianelli, did you ever hear your son mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. Yarbo. I don't know about no such Yarbo. Now, please. Please leave me. There was so much sadness in my house. Yes? Uh, Mr. Dykes? Yes? I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm from the insurance company. About your son's plane crash. Oh, Thought all those details had been taken care of. But just one thing, Mr. Dykes. Did your son ever mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. That's an unusual name. I'm sure if he had, I would have remembered. Okay, sir. I'm sorry to bother you. And thanks. Yes, sir? May I help you? Yes, I'd like to have a word with Mrs. Weatherly. I'm from the insurance company. Well, sir, Mrs. Weatherly has been indisposed, not receiving visitors. What is it, Brian? Uh, how do you do, Mrs. Weatherly? My name is Johnny Dollar. Oh, dear, dear. You may go, Brian. Oh, I'm ashamed to let you see me in this condition, Mr. Dollar. 
just a shame. But you understand. I, I do indeed. It was bad enough. The accident, I mean. But the scandal. Oh, oh I'll never be able to hold my head up again. Yes. Uh, no. If Harvey had to get himself in an automobile accident, why, oh, why, I ask you, did he have to have that awful Mrs. Barclay in the car? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, it was very unthoughtful of him, yes. uh, Mrs. Weatherly. Would you mind answering one question? Well, if I can. Did your husband ever mention a man named Yarbo? Well, no. No, he never mentioned a man named Yarbo. But neither did he ever mention Mrs. Barclay. I tried a half a dozen of the other beneficiaries left behind by Mr. Yarbo's list of victims. All I got out of it was a very watery afternoon. The tears were falling like monsoon time in Burma. But of information, I got none. This brought me right smack up to a point I didn't want to have to reach. The point of contacting Mr. Yarbo in person. At 8.30 that night, I took a plan on Yarbo's house on Lombard Street. At 11.30, I saw the lights go out. As did Yarbo. He was a little guy. Stooped over like he was looking for cigarette butts on a sidewalk. Needing a haircut and... True to type, wearing a long black overcoat. But worst of all was the little satchel he was carrying. Items like this always set off a chain reaction in my imagination, and I could just see him on his way to atomizing the Oakland Bay Bridge, thus causing the biggest automobile accident in history. I very cleverly forced my way into the house by breaking a first-floor window, reaching in and opening same. The Cyclops' eye of my flashlight started picking up information on the subject of Mr. Yarbo immediately. The room I had entered looked like the hobby lobby of an English bobby, a crime museum if I ever saw one. On one wall, a gun case. On another, a crime library. And scattered around the room, a grisly collection, ranging from blood-stained hatchets to shrunken heads. But the most surprising criminal curio of all stood right behind me. Mr. Yarbo, complete with little black bag. Well, well, I must say, the current second story man dresses well, but I must also say you, my man, must have the old masters of the art turning in their graves. For you, young man, are a heavy-fingered bungler. Sir, let's have a better look at you. Now, that flashlight, I'll feel better after you've dropped it. Hey, what am I doing? You're not even pointing a gun at me. Don't feel too comfortable. You are well covered from many points. A step from you in any direction may detonate any number of explosive devices. Uh, why did I have to pick this joint to burgle? I feel like a city councilman playing a call in the White House. You seem more the kind of a guy I should be working for instead of on. What's your racket? Racket? Yeah. You were in a racket, my little friend. My pastime is a science. Yes, I, I take it you are impressed with my collection. Uh, uh, who, who wouldn't be? Well, if you're interested, come here. Uh, about those booby traps. <laughs> oh, yes. Note well the design in the rug. The large roses. Avoid stepping on them for the time being. Oh, great. And I was in here stumbling around in the dark. May your good luck continue. But look, look here in this case, the small vial on the right. That is purloined for me to order from the famous black museum in Scotland Yard. That little vial once left in the case of the fabulous murderer, Dr. Crippen, 
I'm there beside it, that lock of hair mm-hmm. that is from the head of the second victim of the noted mass murderer, Neil Cream. And up there, look up there, the hangman's noose over the mantel from that one swung the body of the notorious Western bad woman, Fanny Turner. Oh, uh, how's chances for running this place for Halloween? Well, well, all right then, since you no longer seem interested in playing the part of a bungling burglar, then I assume that I am also free to discontinue my pose as a victim of your disguise, Mr. Johnny Dollar. Oh, ah, looks like the chips are down and I'm the fish. Yes. And there are a lot of other fish in your sea, Mr. Dollar. Poison, eels, that's what you are, the lot of you. Parasites, gambling on death, and then not paying when you lose. Uh, listen, Mr. Yarbo, you're placing a big hunk of blame where it doesn't belong. You're confused about this. Confused? Yes. When your wife's insurance premium was overdue, you were allowed a 30-day period of grace. And when that went by, the policy was canceled. Now, that's not the insurance company's fault. It was your fault. But it wasn't. I gave her the money. She spent it on herself. I'd have made it up. I told them so after she died. I told them, but they wouldn't listen. I'll show you. I'll show you. Yarbo looked like he was headed to show me the chopping end of an axe laying on top of a small table. I hit him just as he hit the table. As he hit the floor, I noticed what I was standing on. One of those big red roses in the carpet. It hadn't exploded yet, but that was one flower I wasn't standing around waiting to see bloom. It took a lot of nerve picking up a telephone in that room. But I finally got a good hold on my nerves and a fair hold on an imitation of Yarbo's voice. Took one deep breath and picked up the phone. Yes? Congratulations, Brother Yarbo. Two more at 8.45 tonight. And who's your new alibi? Me. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, did you ever think of and as a comedy word? Maybe not, but you'll get a full demonstration on CBS this Wednesday night. There'll be Groucho Marx and his guest on that hilarious quiz, You Bet Your Life. For it's the guests who sometimes floor Groucho with their wisecracks. There'll be Bing Crosby in his regular Wednesday night CBS show and his special guest, Bob Hope. There'll be George Burns and Gracie Allen and Bill Goodwin. And, and, becomes more filled with comedy when you tell or learn that Lum and Abner will have their premiere as Wednesday night regulars on most of these same CBS stations. Yes, this fall, you hear them all on C and B and S. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yarbo might have been lying unconscious on the floor, but in that setting, I was still afraid of him. 
I'd have looked the place over with a fine tooth comb, only having none, I used my hands. I put the pat test to Yarbo's pockets for a gun. He was unloaded. Then turned my attention to the little black bag he'd been carrying when I saw him leave the house, and which he still had with him when he returned. I hoped it wasn't booby-trapped. Opened it and discovered that it was a trap, the type my kind of booby stepped into. Inside the bag was a small radio receiver tuned to something I looked for and found in the room. A small radio transmitter of the type formerly used in army tanks. Through this, Yarbo had heard me enter his little museum of murder and had returned to catch me in the act of prowling the premises. About then, I caught him in the act of coming through. Well, welcome home, Yarbo. Time to get up. I just had a long chat on the phone with Martha. She thought I was you. You think you're very clever, don't you? Martha knows my voice. If she talked to you at all, she didn't tell you anything. Of that I am sure, so save your breath. There is no use your telling me she gave you any information. Oh, no, you've got me wrong, pal. I only told you Martha called to let you know I know there is a Martha. I figured it might make you nervous. And nervous men are easy to beat. Other nervous men may be easy to beat, Dollar, but not James Yarbo. The police have tried and they couldn't prove a thing against me. Now, may I have your permission to get up? Yeah. Maybe the police haven't been able to get anything on you, but I have something. Attempted murder. The hatchet you went for. (laughs) The pitiful mistake of a pitifully suspicious mind, Dollar. I wasn't reaching for that hatchet on the table. I was trying to show you something in the table drawer. There it is, spilled out on the floor. My wife's insurance policy. The one your unscrupulous thieving superiors refused to pay. The vampires? Here, look at it. All in order. Much of it in fine print. Fine, just fine. Okay, Yarbo, that did it. Come on, ahead of me. Uh, where are we going? To find some place to lock you up. I was hired to stop you, and until I do, I'm at least going to try and slow you down. Now move. <laughs> Linen closet. No room here. Come on. In the bathroom. No window. Yeah, this will do. Come on, get in there. No, 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 not in here. Anywhere but in here. It's a good place. You make us thirsty. No, no, no. This is where my wife died. Not in here. No. Which, on the surface, may seem to have been a move on the cruel side. But Yarbo was a man obviously off his rocker, and I needed him more nervous than I already had him. Too nervous to attempt killing any more people. Friends account item five, a nickel. Phone call, downtown office, state police. A Mr. and Mrs. Granville Morse had indeed crashed to their death on the great highway south of Seal Rock at 845, which made the lady with the early telephone news flash, Martha, a gal with whom I wanted an early date. Come on, come on, answer the phone. Hello? Uh, what is this? Hello, Mr. Coach. This is Dollar. Uh, oh, yes, Dollar. What do you want? Well, first I want to tell you that you just lost two more policyholders. List price, 80000 Oh, good Lord. This is terrible. Who, 
how? What Never happened? mind that. I've also got something else on the good side. I need your help tonight. Uh, of course. Anything. What can I do? Meet me at your office. You and I are going to go looking for a dame named Martha. Martha? Martha who? I don't know, but I hope she works for you. I'll be there in a half hour. Make that 20 minutes and you'll be 10 minutes closer to happy days. The office personnel records of the West Coast underwriters turned up not one, but three employees named Martha, which gave me three choices as to who had been supplying Yarbo with a list of West Coast policy, insurance policy holders. Finding the exact Martha was even easier. On the phone, she had told me that she was calling from the office, and the night elevator operator's in-and-out book showed the signature of one Martha Kinsey, and I just couldn't wait to hear her report. I've got a message from Mr. Yarbo. Oh, just a minute. Message from James. Oh, what does he want? Well, what he really wants is to get out of the bathroom. That's why I've got him locked up. Who are you? You ought to know who I am. I assume you're the one that told Yarbo he could be expecting a call from an insurance investigator named Dollar. Well, that's me. Well, I don't care. James told me girls give out lists of names all the time. Sell them for mailing lists. Ten cents apiece. May not be ethical, but it's not against the law. James told me, and I believe James. Oh, he's the smartest man I ever knew. He may be the smartest, but he's right in line to be numbered among the deadest. One of these fine mornings, the state is going to give him a cyanide egg for breakfast. What do you mean? You should know. Murder. Execution. Gas chamber. Well, you can't prove a thing. James told me so, and he knows. Well, he's smart. I hope he's not smart enough to pick a lock with a bath mat. Now, come on, sit down. You and I are going to have a nice, long talk. We are not. I won't say a thing. I don't have to, unless you have a warrant, an indictment, and a court reporter. James told me so. Yeah, I know. He's smart. But no matter what he told you, you're going to tell me a few things. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> So, I was wrong. Martha didn't tell me anything. But her stubborn attitude did. She was in love with Mr. Yarbo, a stupid middle-aged woman having her last fling at romance, doing her best to keep her last chance alive in the person of the man who had made her his partner in crime. As crazy as it was, this grotesque pair of lovebirds created the only real emotion in the case to date and switched my thoughts from the widely scattered deaths which had brought me into the case and over to the single death of Yarbo's wife. Enclosed find a transcript of statement made to me at 2 o'clock in the morning by the doctor who signed Mrs. Yarbo's death certificate. Cause of death, cerebral hemorrhage, result of severe fracture of skull, region medulla oblongata, contributing factors, woman bathing in bathtub at home, slipped and fell, striking head on shower spigot. Gone is finding death due to misadventure. Accidental. It took the doctor two minutes to get around to making that statement. I figured it would take Martha at least 30 minutes to get her hair out of her curlers and make herself presentable enough to risk being seen on the street. That left me 28 minutes to get back to Yarbo's house before she did. And I didn't need half that long. In a cab on my way over, I took inventory. One, to date, Yarbo's alibis covering him on all the so-called revenge murders had been perfect. Too perfect. Second... 
When I first faced Yarbo, he screamed about his wife's death, not in the light of having lost his lady love, but in the light of having lost her insurance money. Just as my third and most important conclusion came upon me, the taxi came upon our destination, and I had to go to work. Once inside the little horror house on Lombard Street, I got set for a long search. But it turned out to be a short one, and it proved two things. Yarbo was not only a murderer, he was as crazy as he'd acted in having kept the evidence around. Okay, Yarbo, come on out. Well, I hope you have enjoyed your waste of time, Mr. Dollar, as I've enjoyed my chance for meditation. You saw Martha, I suppose? Yes, I saw Martha. Bless her silent little soul. Yes, I was sure of Martha. She believes in me. You can say that again. Come on out here. Mr. Dollar, I suppose you are aware that this is the second time tonight you have been guilty of breaking and entering. I am, however, willing to forgive that should you come to your senses and decide to go back to Hartford and leave me alone. Uh Ah. Um, mind treading on the roses in the rug, Mr. Dollar? Sorry, Yarbo. I fell for that gag earlier tonight. People who smile at that joke give me the last laugh. Now, look, Yarbo, I know exactly what you've been up to, and I know why you've done it. But your little war of nerves has got to stop. It will never stop. No one can prove anything against me. I can. I can prove that you haven't done a thing to bring about those accidental deaths you've been taking credit for. Martha has sat down that insurance office, office and notified you every time there's been an accidental death of a policyholder in this part of the country. Then you've written the company your little letters and gotten your little kicks out of it, right? Let you lie, lie, lie. That's the switch, a guy yelling that loud that he's guilty. You will have to prove it. You will have to prove it. Don't worry, chum. I'm not going to waste a breath proving murders that you didn't commit. But, brother, I'm really going to go to town on the one that you did. Your wife, Mr. Yarbo. Oh, yes. That is the most ridiculous statement you have yet made, young man. Look around you. Take note. I have profited by all the mistakes made by the original owners of these bloody souvenirs from Dr. Crippen on down. You see in me the living composite of them all. And I intend to stay that way. Alive. I'm afraid you will. But it's going to be inside an upholstered room. And this is what will put you there. Yeah, Mr. Yarbo, you carried your little hobby of crime souvenirs too far when you saved this hunk of pipe and the faucet with which you clubbed your wife to death. She slipped and fell. She was in the tub. I'm sure the police microscopes can give you a strong argument on that one. Now, come on. And let's make it easy on each other, shall we? No, no, I didn't do it. I I didn't do it. Let go. Let go of me. You you have to prove it. Help me, Martha, help me. Hit him with something. I'd have bet on myself against the two of them if I didn't have to fight while playing hopscotch over those roses in the carpet about which I still wasn't quite sure. It was touch and go. Martha would try to touch the back of my head with something and I'd go. Do something, Martha. Do something. I'll fix him. I'll fix him. Something Martha tried to do was pick up a heavy-based urn and aim it at me. She missed. Started to roll across the rosy carpet. When Yarbo saw where it was headed, he wrenched himself loose and dove. I dove the other way. He got there just too late. (laughs) 
I didn't have to look twice to know he was dead. Fate had called James Yarbo up on his own carpet. When Martha threw that urn at me, it had rolled straight for the only rose in the rug that had been booby traps. Which only goes to prove that sometimes a rose by any other name can be anything but sweet. Expense account, item six. A dollar and 40 cents. Three-month subscription, Love Life magazine. Sent to accessory to murder, Martha Kinsey, to Hatchaby State Prison. I figured three months was about all she had, the judges and juries in California being rather efficient that way. Expense account, uh, item seven. Six bucks. Dinner and diving for pearls in a barrel of blue points at Fisherman's Wharf. Diving for Pearl's earring, which she lost while bending over the barrel trying to see what oysters looked like. Uh, item eight, $176.87. Airfare, San Francisco to Hartford. Uh, expense account total, $942.08. Not including defense lawyer fees if you decide to sue me for not being able to add correctly. Signed, yours... Uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Martha Wentworth, Paul Dubois, C.G. Pearson, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is written and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to be with us at this same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Stay tuned for The Aldrich Family next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 at 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, let's return to 1947 to listen in on The Aldrich Family and hear what trouble Henry is in tonight. Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes present... Henry! Henry Aldrich! Coming, Mother! The Aldrich Family! Yum, 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 by in the Great nuts flakes are good by Jiminy. Sugar roasted, new and better. They're richer now in sweet malt sugar. Sugar roasted, good by Jiminy. Great nuts flakes, yum, yum, by in the the Aldrich Family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and starring Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kalk as Homer, is brought to you by Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes. Hey, I hear they sugar roasted. And now for the Aldrich Family.
A teenage boy may have his ups and downs, but he's never halfway between. Henry Aldrich, for instance, never walks when he can run and never smiles when he can laugh. And when he's late for dinner, he's good and late. The scene opens at the Aldrich dinner table. Sam, could I get you another piece of pie? No, thank you. What time is it now? It's a little after 6.30, dear. Oh, yes? Seems to me it was a little after 6.30, half an hour ago. Why, now that I look again, it... Yes, it's getting on towards 7, but Sam... I'm sure, Henry, you'll be home any minute, Father. Why don't you put him right out of your mind and digest your coffee and newspaper? Mary, I can think of nothing more enjoyable than being able to put Henry right out of my mind. <laughs> After all, dear, he's only a little late, and... A little late? When we've already finished dinner? Well, I'm not trying to defend him, but we did eat quickly. And my goodness, Father, Henry was much later than this the night before last, and you didn't say a thing. Really? Exactly. He's been late for dinner three days in a row, and he's late for breakfast every day. It's time I put my foot down. Well, the only thing is... Dear, don't think I'm criticizing, but couldn't you just put your foot down gently all the time and instead of stamping it down only every once in a while and scaring us all to death? Are you insinuating that I'm not a good father? Why, no, dear. My of goodness, of course you're a good father, father. Of course you are, dear. <laughs> but won't you let me handle Henry this once? You've been handling Henry too long as it is. Sam, are you insinuating that I'm not a good mother? My goodness, Father, look out the window. Here he comes. Where? See, he's coming up the street, pulling a wagon. Yes. What time is it? It's, it's a little after 6.30, Sam. <laughs> look at him, ambling along as though he had all the time in the world. Well, yes, but... What has he got on that wagon? It looks like pop bottles. <laughs> now, what's he stopping for? He's probably tying his shoelace. He's picking a bottle up out of the gutter. <laughs> Look at him standing there, looking at it. It's all right, Sam. He's putting it back in the gutter. Mother, do you think I should go out and tell him to hurry? You stay where you are, Mary. This is very interesting. Look at that. But, dear, what's wrong with stopping to pat a dog? Look, isn't that thoughtful of him? He's offering the dog a candy. Only it won't take it. I dare say the dog knew enough to go home in time to get his dinner. <laughs> Henry, come in here. Could we let him eat first, Father, before we sold him? Hello, everybody. Is dinner ready yet? Boy, I'm starved. I'll go and heat something up. Alice, stay here. But, say... Boy, what a time I've been having. Father, are you going to get a surprise? Henry, are you going to get a surprise? <laughs> Henry, do you realize what time it is? Why, You've I... been eating your meals here for a good many years now, and you're aware of the fact that your mother serves dinner promptly at six o'clock. You mean it isn't six o'clock yet? Sam, why don't you buy him a watch? Henry, according to your mother, it's a little after 6.30. It is? Well, gee whiz, I have to be someplace at half past seven. I'll have to eat dinner in a hurry. If you'd been interested in dinner, you would have been here at six o'clock. Now, please go to your room. You mean I'm going to eat dinner in my room? <laughs> I mean, son, you're not going to eat dinner at all. Sam. Father. You mean you wait everything up? <laughs> Henry, stop arguing and go up to your room. Sure, Father. Well, that's perfectly all right. I'm not hungry anyway. So, supposing I go and sit in my room... Good. ...until a quarter after seven. You will sit in your room until I tell you to come out. But, Father, I have to be someplace at half past seven. When you were rummaging around the streets picking up bottles, did it occur to you that you had to be someplace at six o'clock? Father, I wasn't... Now, look, I told you to do something. But, Father... Henry! Yes, Father. <laughs> 
And I hope you enjoyed your dinner. That roast beef certainly smells good. <laughs> Sam, Aldrich, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ashamed? Why should I be? As a matter of fact, Alice, I believe I will have that piece of pie now. Yes? Well, you'll find it in the kitchen. All right, Mother. The coast is clear. Good. You go on downstairs, Mary, and be on the lookout for your father. As soon as I get this sandwich into Henry, I'll come down, too. All right, Mother. Henry? Oh, Henry? Yes, Mother? Alice? Oh, dear. Alice, what on earth are you doing? I'm just standing here eating a sandwich, dear. Yeah? Would you, would you like a bite? No, thank you, Alice. I just finished my dinner. Mother, what did you call me for? I didn't call you, Henry. Are you eating something, Mother? <laughs> yes, a, a sandwich. Is it good? Yes. <laughs> it's delicious. Come along, Alice. Oh. Henry's up here in his room, Homer. Yes, has he finished his dinner, Mrs. Aldrich? No, he hasn't. Now, Homer, don't mention food to him. Why not? Hey, Henry, are you in here? Yeah. Well, hi. Hi. Gee, does that roast beef you had for dinner smell good? Boy, my one chance, my one big chance to earn that pipe I've been wanting at the Haven's Drugstore. A pipe, Henry? Yeah, and I have to stay here in my room. Gee whiz, do you think I'm old enough to smoke a pipe, too? It isn't for me. It's for my father's birthday next week. Oh. Well, I guess he's old enough. Gee whiz, Mr. DeHaven gave me a job to do, and all I have to do is have it done by 9 o'clock tonight, and he'll pay me the pipe. What's the job, Henry? Is it mixing sodas? Maybe I could do it for you, if it's mixing sodas. Boy, Homer, would you? You see the small pile of overdue bills? All you have to do is go around and collect them all by 9 o'clock. Oh, well, I don't think I'd be any good at collecting money. Sure you would, Homer. Henry, just before I came over here, I tried to collect an advance on next week's allowance from my father. And boy... Well, you just weren't persistent enough. Oh, yeah? I was so persistent, I'm not going to get any allowance at all. <laughs> but look, Homer, I've already collected five bills, and that's not counting Mrs. Clark, who paid me off with a wagon load of ginger ale bottles. Well, I'd like to, Henry, only my doctor says I have to take it easy. Okay, that's all right, Homer. Naturally, I can't force you to help me. And will you please stop swinging on my bedpost? Well, I won't hurt myself, Henry. I've been doing this since I was a kid, and I've never fallen yet. Ouch! Boy. I did that on purpose. Henry, stop that racket! Now, look what you did, Homer. My father thought that was me. He thought that... Homer! Henry, you're choking me! Homer, my father thought you were me. Don't you realize what that means? It means he's crazy and let go. Listen, Homer, if you were to stay here in my room for an hour or so, see, and move around from time to time... Oh, no, Henry, oh, no. Homer, who knew the difference? I could get out the back way and collect those bills, and all you'll have to do is sit here. Well, Henry, my doctor says I should be out getting some exercise. <laughs> Yes? Good evening, Mr. Collins. Oh, is that Henry Aldridge? Yes, sir. Gee, how are you anyway, sir? I'm fine, thank you. And Mrs. Collins? She's fine, thank you. And the children? What children? Oh. Well, speaking of children, Mr. Collins, 
You bought some ice cream and stuff from Mr. DeHaven last October. Yeah, I don't remember that. About $2 worth. About $2 worth? Well, to be more exact, exactly $2 worth. Here's the bill, Mr. Collins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it must have slipped your mind. The only thing is, Henry, I'm a little short tonight. Uh, but look, uh, do you know Mr. Dixon over at 23 Maple Street? I don't think so. He owes me two fifty. So you go on over there and collect from him and say I sent you. two fifty. And you just give me 50 cents. Oh, gee whiz, the only thing is I haven't much time. I, I sort of have a friend sitting in for me at home. I mean, well, are, are you sure I'll be able to collect from Mr. Dixon? Sure thing. Well... Here's your 50 cents, but, gee, I sure... And, Henry, when you get back to the drugstore, will you tell the Haven to send me up a carton of cigarettes? Sure. Would you like to pay me for them now? No, no. Just tell him to charge it. But, look, are you sure Mr. Dixon isn't home at all? No, and I can't stand here in the doorway and talk to him, man. I have to phone these high school girls. But, but look, it's only $2.50. Well, come on in the house for a minute while I look in my purse. Yes, here you are. Gee, thanks. Young man, do you know any high school girls? Oh, my goodness. What's the matter with you? What's that? Of course. You do. I just have to go out for an hour, and the baby just never wakes up once she gets to sleep. The baby? Yes, and if she does, you can find a bottle in the icebox. Hey, wait, I have too many bottles now. Now, where's my clothes? Uh, Mrs. Dixon, I can't stay with your baby. I have to get back to Homer. I won't be long. Her name's Diane. Diane? But what about Homer? Henry. Oh, boy. Henry. Where'll I hide? Where'll I hide? May I come in? Now, Henry, I didn't say you had to go to bed. You might as well get up. I know you're not asleep with those covers over your head. You know, son, your family seems to think I've been pretty hard on you, sending you up here without your dinner, but I did it for your own good. You realize that, don't you? Henry? Henry, answer me. Now, there's no need to cry, Henry. Look, son, I don't like to have to punish you. This, this being late for meals might be only a stage you're going through, but sometimes you just don't seem to be our son at all. I don't like to criticize your friends, Henry, but I sometimes wonder if you're not seeing too much of Homer Brown. Huh? What? Henry, you sound as though you're suffocating. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. Here, son, I brought you a piece of pie. Now, see here, Henry, don't just stick your hand out from under the covers. Come on out and get it. Oh, boy. Now, look, that's enough fooling around. Come on. Henry, let go of those covers. What got into you? There. Hello, Mr. Aldrich. What are you doing here? Hello? Hello, is that Mr. Foster? Well, my name is Henry Aldridge, and did you know you owe Mr. DeHaven $7.36 from last July? You'll pay it? Swell. Well, there's only one other thing. Would you consider coming over here to 23 Maple Street with us? I have to stay here with a baby, seeing 
But, but Mr. Foster, all the other customers are doing it. Well, some of them are. Well, one of them is. Mr. Foster. Mr. Fo Boy, that's a fine thing. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Uh, are you the boys from Haven? Yes, sir. You must be Mr. Wright. Uh, that's right. Boy, come on in. I sure appreciate your coming over here. Now, uh, how much did you say my bill was? Sixty-seven cents. Uh, very well. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Oh, gee, I can't change ten dollars. Would you mind just giving me the sixty cents in cents? I'm sorry, young man, but this is the smallest I have. Well, look, why don't I do this? Why don't I run down to a store and get a chain? Well, And I... you can stay with the baby. What baby? Diane. You won't have a bit of trouble. She just never wakes up once she gets to sleep. And if she does, you'll find the bottle in the ice. <laughs> Dear me, Mr. Weiss, what a predicament. Oh, come now, Mr. Wright, taking care of a sleeping baby? Well, there's nothing to it. If the baby wakes up and starts crying, would you know what to do? Would I? Now, just you listen to this. Yum, 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 by Jiminy. Grape nut flakes are good by Jiminy. Sugar roasted new and better. They're richer now in sweet malt sugar. Sugar roasted good by Jiminy. Grape nut flakes, yum, yum, by Jiminy. Yes, even a baby will start smiling when it hears that happy tune. And it's nothing like the smiles you'll see when sugar-roasted grape nuts flakes are served. That wonderful sugar-roasted flavor just hits the right spot. And remember, this one delicious flavor comes in two delicious forms. Grape nuts, crisp, crunchy kernels, and grape nuts flakes, tempting, toasty brown flakes. That's grape nuts and grape nuts flakes. They're sugar-roasted. <laughs> And now, getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. When Henry arrived home late for dinner, Mr. Aldrich felt he should be punished. But the reason for Henry's lateness was that he was trying to earn a pipe for his father's birthday present. The scene opens under a streetlight on Centerville's Main Street. Oh, boy. Hey, mister! Mister, could you give me a hand here? Henry! Oh, boy. Father, is that you? How long did you think you could point Homer off on me? But, Father... And what on earth are you doing lying on your face on the sidewalk? Well, I have to get my face right down on this grating to see where my ten dollars is. What ten dollars? The one down in this hole. Father, under the grating, it, it blew out of my hand. Do you realize that you disobeyed me? Do you realize I have been combing this town for you? Sure, Father, but I can explain everything. Get up. Yes, sir. You see, there was this thing I wanted, only I can't tell you what it is. And I just had to collect some bills, only I got held up with this baby, see? A baby owed you a bill? No, Father, it was her father. Well, he didn't owe it to me. He owed it to another man, and I gave him 50 cents because it was a bill from last October. Henry, are you trying to tell me that you owed somebody 50 cents since last October? After all the times I've told you never to borrow money? No, Father, I just borrowed the baby, and then it fell down this grating. What? They're not the baby, the $10. Oh, boy. Father, just let me explain one thing to you. Henry, let me explain one thing to you. You were to march right straight home and go up to your room and stay there. Do you understand? But, Father, that $10 belongs to a man over at 23 Maple Street. I'll get the $10 out of here. All I have to do is reach in for it. Now, go on home. Yes, Father, I'm going. Don't stop to talk to anybody, and don't come back. Yes, Father. Now, then. If I could just get my arm. Why? Why? Henry! 
Henry, my arm is caught in the grating. Henry, come back! Mother, you mean you really do? Of course, Henry. I follow you perfectly. Well, gee whiz, how is it I can always make you understand? Father always gets me mixed up. It's very clear to me, dear. You've had a date since last October to mind Mr. Dixon's baby. What? And he said he'd give you his best pipe that he found down underneath a grating if you'd collect $10 that Mr. DeHaven owed him for some bottles. Now, Mother, I guess you didn't understand. Now, Henry, didn't you say you wanted to get a pipe as a present for your father? Yeah, sure. Gee, if I made that clear, that's all that matters. For Father's Day? No, for Father's birthday. Oh. Hey, Henry. I'm in the living room, Homer, with my mother. All over for you. Your father caught me in your room, and boy, it's a good thing I found you before he did. Homer, you're too late. No, I'm not, Hen. I've got it all figured out. You can hide in my basement for the next few days. Now, Homer, he isn't going to do any such thing. His father said he was to go straight to his room. But, Mother, I just have to collect six more of these bills before nine o'clock. Wouldn't you consider letting me go out for only half an hour? No, dear. Your father's going around saying that I spoil you. Look, Mother, do you suppose there's a way that I could collect the money and still not leave my room at all? Wait a minute. Now, Mr. Allridge, for the last time, if you don't stay down on your knees, there's nothing I can do for you. How long do you think I can hold this position? My back's nearly broken. Well, you're going to get your arm broken if you don't hold it. Well, then kindly hurry up. You realize I had to walk six blocks with this grate on my arm? Yes, Mr. Allridge. But I can say I like your attitude. Do you realize I closed this hardware store two hours ago and I came from clear across town to help you Yes, out? of course. I didn't mean to. And I'm doing the very best I can. I realize that, Mr. Jackson, and I appreciate it very much. All right. Now, see if you can hold still. Oh! Very well, Mr. Aldridge. If that's your attitude, you can go straight to the blacksmith. <laughs> Mrs. Walker, this is Alice Aldrich. I just thought I'd phone and give you that chocolate cake recipe you've been wanting. Well, yes, it's always been a family secret, but I just decided there's no point in being selfish about it. Oh, and by the way, Mrs. Walker, did you know that you owe the Havens Drugstore $9.13? Yes, of course you'd forgotten about it, dear. Supposing I send Homer Brown over to pick it up. And then he'll be glad to give you the recipe. Hello? Hello, are you still there, Doris? Well, I know I'm not home. I'm sitting here in some stranger's house minding a baby. (laughs) No, dear, a baby. I know, dear, but listen. I gave a young boy $10 and he was going to change it. No, dear, change the $10. Oh, but, dear, you don't understand. Dear? Goodbye, dear. Excuse me, is your name right? Uh, yes, uh, are you the father? Why, yes. Well, I'm certainly glad you're here. Come on in. Thank you. Uh, just a minute now. If I can manage to get my bill pulled out. I I noticed your arm is in a sling. Were you in an accident? Yes. Uh, here, Here's your $10. Uh, thank you. I'll just get my coat. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> 
Where did you get the $10? Look, I'm trying to forget. Kindly take the money and let's not talk about it. Well, that suits me. I'll drop into the Havens and pay that bill on my way home. Uh, good evening. Oh, here, wait, I'm leaving too. Oh, no, no, you can't. Your wife isn't home. Oh? You'll have to stay with the baby. Oh. Uh, good evening. Good evening. Mr. Wright! Wait a minute! What baby? <laughs> Henry, what time is it? It's, it's just a little after nine o'clock, Mother. Henry, it must be an hour since you said it was only a little before nine o'clock. Gee, I'm sure Father will be home any minute. After all, he's only two hours late. Oh, let's see that pipe again, Henry. Here. Boy, isn't it a beauty? I'll say. And was Mr. DeHaven surprised when I took in all the money? Yeah? He said to tell you you were the best bill collector he ever had. Gee, Mother, and to think that chocolate cake has been a family secret for generations. Henry? Yes, Mary? I have the tissue paper out here in the kitchen. Do you want to wrap Father's pie? Sure, Mary. Can we do it up real fancy-like? You better step on it, Hen, so your father doesn't see it. Oh, my, what time is it now? Alice! Sam. Oh, boy, I'm going home. Good night, Mrs. Aldrich. Are you in the living room, Alice? Sam Aldrich, where have you been? Alice, I can explain everything. Oh, my goodness, you're armed. You've been in an accident. No, Alice, this wouldn't have happened if Mr. Jackson hadn't lost his temper. All I said was out. You'd say out, too, if I was twisting his arm off. So that's it. You've been fighting. Fighting? At your age. Listen to me, Alice. This $10 bill fell down a grating, and I got my arm caught in it trying to reach the money. Was Mr. Jackson trying to reach the money, too? No, dear. I had to lift the whole grating off with my arm still in it, and then I had to get down into the hole and get the $10. You mean Mr. Jackson pushed you in? No, no. I got in by myself. And Mr. Jackson wouldn't let you out? Alice, forget about Mr. Jackson! Well, my goodness, you didn't yell. Frankly, if that's the way you were, I don't blame him for hitting you. Alice, listen. Mr. Jackson did not hit me. Mr. Jackson didn't do a thing except bite my head off. Then why are you so late? Because I've been minding the baby. What baby? Well, you see, I went, uh, Mr. Never mind, you wouldn't believe it anyway. <laughs> Mother, have you got a longer piece of ribbon I could tie around this? Henry! This... Oh, gee whiz. Why aren't you in your room? Oh, I'm going, Father, but D- do you mind my asking what happened to your arm? Mr. Jackson did him, dear. <laughs> Henry, wait a minute. What's that you're holding behind your back? Oh, boy. Well, it isn't anything, Father, just... Just some tissue paper. Yes, in that case, let me have it, please. Sam. Father, couldn't you just wait a day or so? I mean... Hand it over. Yes, sir. What's in here, another pop bottle? No, sir, it's... It's... Well... Happy birthday, Father. Only I certainly hadn't planned it this way. You mean this is... Uh, this pipe is... It's your birthday present, Sam. It is? For my birthday? And Henry earned it himself, collecting bills. That's why he left his room, and incidentally, why he was late for dinner. Well, well, you see, Alice, it's a pipe. (laughs) Well, it's about the best-looking one I've ever seen. Boy, Father, do you really like it? Yes, indeed, Henry, and, well, thank you, son. He earned it, Sam. Yes, Alice, I know. Well, Henry, so you earned it. Yes, sir. Well. And you know the next thing I'm going to earn, Father? A watch, so I won't ever be late for dinner again. Well, son, you couldn't help being late. Sometimes things happen, Henry, that are beyond our control. 
But just the same, Father, it's not going to happen again. You see this stack of bills? Yes. Mr. DeHaven sent them up here with Homer. He said if I can do as good a job collecting these, he'll pay me a watch. Well, I think that's very commendable, Henry. When do you start? Right now. Father, did you know you owe Mr. DeHaven $12 and a quarter from before Christmas? I knew a character who prided himself on never being late except once. Well, what happened that time, Mr. Zip? Well, his character sets out for his own wedding 240 miles upstate, but along comes a blizzard and stops the train. So he hires a horse and sleigh, but the horse gives up, climbs up into the sleigh, and goes sound asleep. No. Yes. So next he gets a sled and a dog team, but the dogs wear out and give up. So then my friend gets out his skis, tugs three dogs under each arm, and mushes all the way to the church just in time to prevent the best man from eloping with his girl. Man, what energy. Why, he must have been eating grape nuts. He was. He told me. Them sugar-roasted grape nuts. Any objections? Nary a one, Mr. Pip. I like a little mushing myself. And friends... <laughs> and friends, what do you may not want to plow through blizzards? It's great to have the energy so you plow through the day's work like lightning. And it is grape nuts for energy. Grape nuts for important bodybuilding food values of the whole grain. And don't forget, this one delicious flavor comes in two delicious forms. Grape nuts, crisp, crunchy kernels, and grape nuts flakes, tempting, toasty brown flakes. They're both sugar-roasted, crisply toasted, naturally nourishing. Did you lock all the doors, Sam? Yes, dear. (sighs) What a day. Goodness, where did you get this? One. This great big handkerchief. Alice, that isn't a handkerchief, and I'll have to return it to Diane tomorrow. Who's Diane? Well, you see, Alice, it's. Oh, the Aldrich family with music by Jack Miller is based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and stars Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kelk as Homer. Mr. and Mrs. Aldrich are House Jamison and Catherine Roth. And this is Dwight Reese saying the Aldrich family was brought to you by Grape Nuts and Grape Nut Flakes. They're sugar roasted. Listen again next week, same time, same stations, to another sparkling half hour with the Aldrich family. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be here next week when I bring you more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.